0: Yeah, I love it. That is, uh, we've been watching those videos the last couple of weeks. That's been part of our homework, if you remember. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we started our series, we said, hey, everybody, here's the thing. Everybody on your phone, let's set an alarm and let's title it that goes off every single day, Lord Include Me. Not my day. It doesn't belong to me. I didn't create it. I'm not the author of it. It's your agenda. Lord, whatever is on your agenda, would you just include me? And so it's been so fun to celebrate those. Uh, together on Sunday morning. So if you have them, keep sending them in. Uh, We love those. They're so so fun and and a lot of encouragement. But today, friends, oh my goodness, you guys are uh, so like we were eating on a big fat steak this morning. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited about this morning. Grab your Bibles, go over and turn with me to Hebrews. That's where we're going to be this morning. We think it's important that we are uh, biblically literate people, that if we engage God's story that we understand some of the, the bigger narrative and the bigger story going on. And so just wanted to kind of remind you of where we find ourselves in God's story. We're going through the book of Hebrews this semester. Hebrews is not a letter written to a book. It is a sermon, sermon that was meant to be circulated at the time uh, there was a, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, there was a group of Jewish followers that started to follow Jesus as Messiah. And when they did, as we said a couple weeks ago, the call to following Jesus is upstream living. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to be fighting against a lot of things in your life that are going to push against you, that you're going to find yourself friction in. Culture is heading in a different direction than the people of Jesus. It's not drifting towards godliness, it's drifting farther and further away. And so as followers of Christ, be ready. People in the book of uh, Hebrews were starting to ask the question, is this really worth it? <laughs> this is really hard. And over and over again, we see this little phrase that springs up in the book of Hebrews, and it says, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any amount of friction, any amount of persecution, anything that is going to come against you, he's worth it every single time. And so last week, Jason did a fantastic job of wrestling with some really hard scripture, uh, and we talked about Moses, and uh, how oftentimes we're like, Moses, that's great, Moses, But for the Jewish people, it does not get any better than Moses. Moses was the top of the heap. And the author of Hebrews wants you to know that Jesus is better. Moses was the paradigm. And any paradigm that we have out there that is not Jesus at the top of it, the author of Hebrews wants you to know that Jesus was just better. He is spectacular and will beat anything that you thought was the best. And that was last week. And so... Now let's jump into chapter four this week. So um, about four years ago, I finished uh, my seminary, and I was driving to Austin two, three days a week, and it was, man, I'd have to leave the house at sometimes at 5 a.m. to make a 9 a.m. class because of the traffic. It was horrible. I could expect two and a half hour drive, uh, bare minimum, to make it to school on time. And seminary was really difficult, really hard, but one of my favorite classes was a class called Comparative World Religions. And it was a great class for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was taught over a short course uh, over four days, which means I didn't have to drive to Austin for that class. Thank you, Jesus. It was awesome. And it was taught at TBRM, and I love TBRM. So we stayed at TBRM, and from like 8 to 7 at night, we uh, walked through this class called Comparative Religions. And what was fascinating about this class is we studied the Abrahamic tradition's uh, um, faith. And so that means that's our faith, the Jewish people, and the Muslim faith. And so what they did is they brought in a pastor, a rabbi, and an imam, which would be like a Jewish, uh, excuse me, an Islam pastor, and they would talk about the distinct natures and characters of each one of those particular faith stories. And what was fascinating that you've got to know about this morning is, as they began to explain like the tenets of each one of those, what quickly rose to the surface from our time together was how each one of those faced the fundamental idea of how they relate to God. And here's what I mean by that. So for the Christian faith, our understanding, if I were to ask you, What is the primary image that the Bible paints for us as how we relate to God? Um, Now, the Bible paints a lot of pictures, but the primary image is what? As a father, right? That God is our father. That's where we are uh, adopted, grafted in. We are ransomed into the family of God. That we understand that we are invited into God's family and that we are his children. Beautiful, right? So, uh, the imam got up for the Muslim faith and explained, we don't have that understanding. We have something different. And he explained, uh, do you know what their primary image is in the Muslim faith? You're right. So <laughs> the, the primary image in the Muslim faith is that of a master slave. In fact, Islam means submission. And so that's the way that they relate to God, as God as their master, and they are in service to him. Now, what is beautiful that I got to share with you this morning is, is when the rabbi came up, do you know what the primary image in the Jewish faith is? I bet you don't, because I didn't know it either, and it is fascinating, and it's been something inside of me that has had to shift, and I've had to deal with it, but they don't understand it as you're adopted into the family, certainly don't understand it as master's slave dynamic, they understand it as two lovers coming together. Isn't that beautiful? They understand it as a bride and a groom and that there is this wedding that they get invited into and that moment where they come together, and I want to be clear what we're talking about. We're talking about the deed, right? We're talking about this intimacy between a husband and wife coming together together or you could say, the mingling of souls is what is happening. They understand that as their relationship with uh, their creator with God. And I'm like, "That is beautiful." And I still had to unpack that over the last couple of years. But I got a really good first-hand picture of what that looked like just a couple of years ago when I was in Israel. Every couple of years we're going this year, just FYI, this summer. Uh, we get to go to Israel. We get to do a lot of hiking. It's awesome. It's not the bus tour. We hike anywhere from, you know, seven to 10 miles a day, up mountains, down mountains, through the desert, beautiful, unbelievable things that we get to experience. And this picture of what the rabbi said to me became super clear. At the end of one of the days, we were, uh, we, we were in the hotel lobby, uh, relaxing from a really long, hard hike that day. And there was a party going on in the lobby. I mean, party, celebration going on in the lobby. And I'm like, well, I love a good party. What's going on over here? And so me and my friends are like, well, what is this? It has to be. I mean, they're hugging each other. There's dancing. There's laughing. There's celebration. They're drinking. I mean, they're having a dandy old time. And so we, me and my friend, are sitting next to this really sweet uh, Jewish mom and dad, very Orthodox, have the, uh, the hair, this, uh, the talits hanging down. And so we asked them, what is this? What is going on? And I said, is it, is it a wedding? And they said, no, 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 it's not a wedding. They are welcoming in the Sabbath. And I'm like, wait, it's not a wedding? They're welcoming in the Sabbath? Yeah. They're welcoming in God's rest. Now watch. Here's the picture. How do the Jewish people understand how they relate to God, right? As a husband, a bride, and a groom. And when they come together and their souls mingle in the most intimate way possible, don't let the imagery get weird on you, but that's, you know what I mean, but there's this moment where there's the, a, a bride and groom's souls mingle. Do you know what that moment is called? Sabbath. That as close as you can get to, to somebody here, that moment of deep intimacy where your souls are mingling together is called Sabbath. Okay. Now you are ready to enter into chapter 4 of Hebrews. Are you ready? It's gonna be good. So uh, I haven't even began to preach yet. This is just the intro. It's gonna be good this morning. So that's where we're gonna be. <clears throat> um, and so uh, just remember a little context. Little context. Uh, we're talking to a people that are being persecuted, that are facing uh, major opposition against them. And the author of Hebrew is gonna make this beautiful invitation, ready for the Sabbath, that you don't rest in your circumstances, your feelings, your emotions, or what you lay your eyes on. You're gonna get yourself in trouble. You rest in this beautiful intimate relationship with Christ. Alright? So that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. Evening. Uh, let's see. Let me see where we are at. Okay, so let's look at over at verse one. Here we go. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 1. We're not going to get very far today because it's that jam-packed with stuff. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, be careful. Be very careful that we do not be found to have fallen short of it. What rest is the author of Hebrews talking about? Sabbath rest. He is saying that the promise that God made way back in the Older Testament is a promise to enter into his rest. And that, brothers and sisters, is a promise that still stands today for you. It still stands, today for me. It is a promise by God that it, we can receive joyfully that still reigns true to us to this very day. Now, there's a principle in the Bible called first usage. And uh, um, it, it's built on this idea that wherever you find the word first used in the Scripture is primarily, from that point on, how you're going to define that word. So, for example, do you know where the first time love is mentioned in all the scriptures? Good, good, good. Abraham and Isaac. It's where Abraham takes his son, and God says, take your son whom you love up to the altar. So how do we define what love is? It's not the butterfly feelings. It's not they walk in the room and, oh, my, my, my heart just goes pitter patty, right? That's not it. How you primarily define what love is, biblical love, is self-sacrificing, that you lay your life down on the behalf of somebody else. Not me-centered, me-focused, other-centered, God-focused, right? Any ideas what the very first thing that God ever called holy was? You know it, the Sabbath. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 2. It says this, uh, thus the heavens and earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from work, uh, all the work of creating that he had done. The very first thing that God created as holy was not a uh, place It was not a thing, it was not a temple, or even a people. The very first thing that God ever created as holy was the Sabbath. When a bride and a groom, they come together, and their souls mingle, and they enter into that rest. It's the very first thing that God ever declared as holy. In Genesis, you have this rhythm that it's really hard for us to pick up on. But there is this rhythm where it goes like it's evening and morning and it's day one and it's evening and morning and day two, it's evening and morning and day three. And this, as the story of creation begins to unfold and unfold and unfold until you get to day seven, there is no this refrain or this rhythm that you see in the rest of the, of the creation account. And here's the idea that I believe that God wants us to, that he's laying out, that he has a promise even in that for us, that when he gets to day seven, there is no refrain. And so the idea is that God's rest just keeps going. That this day that God declared as holy, set apart a day to rest into the relationship, did not stop be just because it was day seven, but the people of God now get to live in a state of rest. Wow. Is that not spectacular? It's unbelievable. Now, the author of it, look at the backside of verse one. Go back. It says this. He says, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall short of my rest. Why, did, why does probably she say that? Why does she say that? Because he knows you and he knows me. He knows us. Because I like to get really worked up about a lot of different things. I don't want to sit on the sofa all day on Saturday. I want to get going. I've got lots of things to do. i want—I I got to accomplish things. i got to get my schedule going. I need to have all the... The author says, be careful. When was the last time somebody told you, be careful, you need to rest? Be careful, you need to rest. Receive the gift of God's Rest. It is absolutely beautiful. I mean, absolutely beautiful. The picture that he is beginning to paint there, and the rest is—can we just? We need to. Let's let's deal with this real quick. Okay. Sabbath is not a day off just to not work. That is elementary, basic understanding of what the Sabbath is. You have to you have to start there. Sabbath is so much heavier than that. So much more beautiful than just today I don't work. Sabbath, remember, bride, groom, coming together, souls mingling, where we enter into this uh, intimate relationship with him. It's about us declaring to ourselves, I didn't create the world. It doesn't belong to me. I don't hold all things in the palm of my hand. I'm not the master storyteller. I'm not in charge. My life actually doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. And it's the day where I set aside and I remember God is 100 percent for me. It's just not all about me. That's the Sabbath. Sabbath is less about just a time period, and, and more about an intimate relationship that we get to be reminded of, an intimate relationship where our souls are reminding that He is sufficient, that He feeds us, that he fuels us, that he's thoughtful, that he's kind, that he is telling a great story with my life. Do you feel rested? Are you tired? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel like, oh gosh, one more great alert and I just can't take it? And all the parents know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, one more thing on my plate, I'm done. I'm out. Can't do it anymore. Do you feel rested? Are you riddled with a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety? There's a Sabbath rest for God's people. Let's keep looking at what it says. Look at verse 2. For we also have had the good news. If you are in your Bible, circle it, underline it, highlight it, put a big star next to it, super critical. For we, have all, we, have the, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share in the faith of those who who believed it. That word right there, um, the good news is translated. Listen, I'm not that smart, but I did a little bit of research this week. Don't be impressed. In Greek, it is euangelion. And that word is what we translate gospel. The good news of the gospel. Okay. So this is where it gets real juicy, you guys. So please tune in because if not, we're going to be walking a Reorientating line, real quick. And if you don't tune in, there's a chance you're going to send me an email and you're going to call me a heretic and that you'll never come back. So don't miss, don't miss out on what I'm really talking about here, okay? What is the gospel message? What is the gospel? That's what the author of Hebrews is wanting uh, to say. Most of the time, if we talk about what is the gospel message, what we typically do is we take the gospel message, and we shrink it down to a matter of salvation. Are you in? Are you out? Are you saved? Are you not saved? Now, does the gospel message include a message of salvation? 100%, absolutely. But, it does not stop there. The gospel is much bigger and grander than that. Uh, in fact, yesterday, me and my bride were in the front yard, uh, and we have this old uh, Vietnam War vet that loves cars, and he's always coming by, talking and hanging out. He's, uh, he's older, uh, and he's got some real health problems. And every time I see him, he says, your wife is praying for me. She's trying to keep me alive, <laughs> which I think is so funny. <clears throat> and this last time we were talking, and we were saying, why don't you come to church with us? Oh, all right, he comes up with excuses, but I love him. He's great. Really neat old guy. In fact, he sent me uh, a bunch of his photos from Vietnam. He was just wanted to share his story. And as we're talking to him, he says things like, uh, yeah, when I was a boy, though, I was an altar boy, and I was in charge of making sure everybody got to do the thing right, and so I got my ticket punched one day. Do you see the damaging nature if we define the gospel as just a matter of salvation. I got my ticket punched. I'm good because one day I'm going to go be with Jesus. And if we live with a one day mentality, you know what that makes today? Not really meaningful. There's no significance in today if we have, if we reduce the gospel down to, are you in? Are you out? Are you saved? Are you not saved? The gospel is much Uh, bigger than just that. It's less about um, receiving something that benefits us, but it's more about a truth that transforms you. A truth that transforms you into a new reality, right? Look at what it says. Go back to the same verse. Look at what it says. Uh, Yeah. Because, uh, the message there was of no ground, because, therefore, be careful that, oh, uh, 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 yes, let me read it to you because it's on verse 2, I think. It says this. Um, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. Who is they? The people in the Older Testament. We tend to reduce the gospel down to something brand new when Jesus showed up on the scene. Tune in. Tune in. Listen. The gospel, even in the Older Testament, you have people like Abraham that was credited as his righteous. It says that the gospel was proclaimed to them just as it was to us. Here's the picture. The gospel, then, is the announcement of a new kingdom. There's a new king on the throne that is ruling and reigning, and it's not me. I'm not the center of the equation. The gospel is the good news that there is a new reality, a new story being told that you get to be written into and that the story can be trusted because of the character and nature of our God. Because he's beautiful and he's kind and he's spectacular. But most of the time we talk about it as, are you in or are you out? Now, the other image in that is... um, John, tell me about your bride, Christy. Oh, let me tell you about Christy. Our wedding day was awesome. She was beautiful. Uh, we were at the reception for like 10 minutes, and I was ready to get out of there and start the honeymoon. It was awesome. But John, tell me about your bride. Oh, she wore this beautiful white wedding dress, and we had a big party. John, tell me about your bride. Oh, at the reception, though, boy, my friends were fun. We had a real good time. We were dancing, having a good time with everybody. But John, tell me about your bride. And it's like we almost do that with the gospel too. Listen, you know me. I love us becoming very central on raising up the centrality of Jesus. There is nothing better than Jesus. But when we reduce the gospel message just to who's in or out, it's like all we're doing is focusing on the wedding day. And Jesus is like, but I've got the whole marriage I'm ready for you. I've got the whole marriage where we get to enjoy coming together now. Do you see that? Do you see that picture? That yes, absolutely, the centralness of Jesus is like this world has nothing seen as spectacular as him. In Hebrews, he says he's better than angels, better than the prophets, better than Moses. He's better than anything. But listen, what's better than just the wedding is a marriage, a marriage that you and I get to be called into. And what does Jesus call us? What does Jesus call the church? The bride of Christ. Do you see it? He's the groom. What's, what's the, what, who's his bride? Us. What is he screaming? What is he saying? Get the groom ready. Or get the bride ready. The groom is coming. And you and I are meant to be in this intimate relationship with the creator of the universe where our souls are mingling together. And it's why this moment of coming together is called the Sabbath. It's called the Sabbath. Question for us. That's really lofty stuff. That's heavy moving that we're doing this morning. So let's make it really practical. Let's make it knock on your front door this morning. Okay? Are you tired? Are you riddled with anxiety? Do you shoulder every bit of your family's stuff and you walk around heavy and worried about all of it? I'm going to read you mine. I'm going to read you my list of things that mess me up. Things that I'm, let me just be honest, worried about. That I'm not okay about. And you're going to be very tempted at the end of the message to come to me and say, Dang, John, are you okay? I had no idea. And you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm definitely not okay. Okay but my circumstances give me every reason to freak out. My circumstances, and my feelings, and my emotions give me every reason to not be okay. The Sabbath is an invitation to remember that my soul's mingled with him. I'm not okay, but he's really good. My circumstances may be falling apart, but he's really kind. And I don't base how I'm doing with the things I'm experiencing in my life. I base how I'm doing off the character and nature of Jesus. We've got to keep lifting him high. Keep lifting him high. So don't ask me if I'm okay. I'm not. But Jesus is okay, right? Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> my uh, parents are older. And I have not seen my mom or dad in six months. My mom had cancer a few years back. And so they have been on house arrest since March. And she's missed my kids' birthdays, missed her birthdays. She had to go have a surgery and had to go out it alone. And I haven't seen my parents in six months. I get scared at night. I get scared at night that I won't sleep. And 10 o'clock becomes 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock becomes 12. 12 becomes 1. And I'm riddled with, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I just want to sleep. I can't sleep. God, why can't I sleep? And my mind will not shut down. think about conversations I should have had. I think about conversations that I had that I blew it in. I think about ways that I spoke that have hurt the people I love the most and how the words coming out of my mouth don't match what's in my heart and I'm just paper cutting the people I love all around me. My kids are uh, 11 and 8 And they're growing up so fast. And there used to be this moment where dad walked into the door and it was dad's home. And I'm like the hero of the house. And now I walk in the door and it's, hey, I barely get a nod. And I have to grab them and put them under my arms and walk them on the bed and throw them on the bed and jump on them to get their attention. Haven't saved for retirement like I wanted to. Ain't no chance my kids are gonna have me paying for their college. <laughs> no way. House is falling apart, it's well lived in. Floors coming up, bathrooms are disgusting, and good luck paying for it. If you really knew, <laughs> y'all. If you really knew how little I know, I don't think you would let me be the pastor of this church. (laughs) My goal every single day is I just want to be faithful today. I just want to hear his voice and take the next step. (coughs) Um, My girls' circles of friends keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, have I done enough? Do they, do they know how to hear God for themselves? Because it used to be, I knew all their friends, and I could control them. But now, I got one in middle school. Who's that kid? What do they want? And have I taught them to hear God's voice? How good he is? How he's worth it every single time? Have I discipled my own children? Dang great alerts, I can't take another grade alert coming in. <laughs> I got my friends in the community that are going through really painful stuff and I'm afraid that I'm not doing a very good job loving the people I care about in the community. Uh, the Lord's favor, y'all, it's so heavy on this place. It's so good. I would actually go to church here if I was not on staff. I mean, that's how great this place is. I love it. And yet I'm like, Lord, can we get some traction? Stupid COVID. Christy's back in school. She's working on her master's, which means a couple days a week. I don't see her. She leaves the house at 6 She doesn't get home till nine. That means I got breakfast. I got taking them to school, getting them dressed. Do you have your lunch money? Is there money in your account? Did we pack your lunch? Do you have your flute? Do you have your ID badge? You forgot it at the house? Okay, uh, dad, it's time to go. Baby, school doesn't open for an hour. I want to be early. I want to sit in the parking lot. That's our, (laughs) that's our world. We get home and it's, I'm starving, I haven't eaten anything all day. It's, no, we're going to do homework, tears, yelling, screaming. And then it's dinner time. And then it's been three days, and I, I'm like, have I even said hi to Christy in the last three days? No. And friends, those are just the things that I can talk about. Because there's a whole laundry list of things out there, aren't there? There's a whole laundry list of things that I could talk about. But I want you to understand what we're talking about and what's real today. The author of Hebrews says the promise of his rest still stands today. Sabbath is not a day off. That's so basic. It's a day to remember that the groom is intended to be with his bride. And when the groom comes to be with his bride in that beautiful way, it's called Sabbath. And it's where our souls, they mingle together, and we get to enjoy the fullness of the gospel. Not just, am I in or I'm out? But I get I get the prize, and the prize is him. The prize is getting to enjoy how I was intended and created to be in right relationship with the creator of the universe. The promise then, friends, is that that rest still stands for you today. Let's look at verse 2 as we close it down. Just because we're headed somewhere, and we're going to get there in just a second, but look at what it says. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, the euangelion, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because they did not share the faith of those who believed it. Meaning, Sabbath is less of a truth that you just believe in, and more of a gift that you unpack and enjoy. Does that make sense? It's like we reduce a lot of our theology just to these things that we believe in rather than a gift that we get to embrace and wrap our arms around and enjoy. And the Sabbath is a gift that you and I get to enjoy. Now, question. Do you feel rested? Do you feel riddled with anxiety? Because the truth is, there's a lot of people, a lot of us, what's normal is there's a lot of people that have said uh, yes to the wedding and forgotten about the marriage. That the marriage is this, oh man, I just get to rest into my relationship with him. Where you're not riddled and shouldering and backpacking all the junk that life wants to just heap on you. Jesus says things like, come to me all who are tired and weary and I will give you my burden is easy my yoke is light it's not normal for followers of Jesus to feel the weight of not resting in him How are you? I say it all of the time. If we just come and don't receive the invitation that God is laying out this morning and nothing changes, then you're wasting your time. Sleep in. You got better things to do with your time. But you're here, you're online, you're tuned in. And that I believe that means that God is inviting you to take a step. To take a step and learn to enjoy the mingling of the souls, the gift of Sabbath. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sing just a couple songs. I I believe that there is something that happens in worship that just doesn't happen even from fantastic teaching. There's a softening I think the Lord does when we cry out and we worship and we position ourselves to receive from Him. And so we're going to worship together a little bit, just a couple songs this morning. But here's what we're going to do. If you would say, that's me. I'm tired. Not one more thing on my plate. We're going to stand, and this is what I want you to do. I just want you to hold your hands open like this. And I'm going to read some scripture. And these are promises from God that you can bank your life on. And I want you just to hold your hands open like this. Like you're receiving them because they're written to you. And then we're going to worship together and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to blow in and soften this, as the scriptures say, a dry and dusty heart. Make it soft and moldable again, that we learn to enjoy the groom and we become a beautiful bride ready to receive the gift of this Sabbath. So would you stand with me this morning? And if that would describe you, I'm going to ask you just to open your hands right now and to receive God's word over you like a declaration, like you are thirsty and God's about to pour out some living water to you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. I'm gentle, humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul my yoke is easy and my burden is light in peace I will lie down and I will sleep for you alone Lord make me lie down in green pastures I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace because in this world you will have trouble take heart I've overcome the world thus the Lord says stand by the road and look you ask for the ancient path where the good way is you walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as this world gives, but as I do. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. And a reading from Psalms whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and He is my fortress. He is my God in whom I find rest.